Welcome to Founders First, a show about mental health and entrepreneurship and how to build resilience to stay stronger, happier, and be more successful. You can engage more in the conversation by going to the App Store on your phone and searching Founders First Community. Our guest today is a former Naval officer, SEAL platoon commander, FBI agent, and recipient of the FBI's second highest award, the Shield of Bravery. He believes our true power as leaders comes from our stumbles and mistakes, and recently authored the book, The Process, Art, and Science of Leadership. He is Errol Dobler. I want to start off right at the top here. Errol, you've had some amazing experiences. As you know, here at Founders First, we focus on high performers and what we can learn from them. That's why you're here. Uh, One thing we spend a lot of time on is the myth of entrepreneurship. And one of those myths is this idea that we always have to have a perfect path from vision to execution and success, which, of course, is almost never the actual case, right? Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things you talk about is making mistakes. You've said, the true power of my leadership message comes not from an impressive resume. It comes from all the stumbles, mistakes, and unmitigated self-sabotaging screw-ups inside the resume. And we all make mistakes. Some of them are small and immediate. Some are big and expensive. You've had great success, but you're open about those mistakes you've made along the way. So the, the question I'd like to ask is, how do we survive our mistakes? How do we pivot those mistakes into high performance after we make them? Yeah, so, you know, and this isn't a pitch for my book, uh, because everything I do is based, and everything I, I discuss is based in my process. Because I believe that any challenge we have, personally or professionally, is gonna be found inside one of those elements. So you'll bear with me, I wanna put that caveat up front when I say that answer goes to this element of my process. Um, the first thing uh, to remember is neat and tidy is not the goal. Mission accomplishment is the goal. And I think if we kind of start with that framework, right? We make plans, we lay it out, we see what it looks like, we visualize it, we do all the things, right? That people like me come and tell you to try to do and that people do on their own. Mm -hmm. And then we feel like the second there's a stumble, well, gosh darn it, I'm no good at this, right? Or or whatever self negative self-talk we give ourselves. And if we just remember neat and tidy is not the goal, mission accomplishment is the goal. There's a saying in the SEAL teams, there's a saying in the military, anybody who's been to combat knows that the plan doesn't survive the first contact with the enemy. That's Mm. by and large right, except when you have a real good plan because you're anticipating those things. Okay, so what is is my point here? How do we we leverage our mistakes? Well, the first thing is that we need to be aware of our mistakes. So when I talk about things like the first couple elements of my leadership process, emotional awareness and recognition and cultural awareness and recognition, I spend an inordinate amount of time with my clients, whether it's a group or an individual, digging out, understanding your emotions, not understanding necessarily where they came from, because that's a different, that's a different conversation and, and, and that's important, but not for, not for what I do, right? So I start, you know, I say, look, we have to dig into do you even know what you're feeling? Okay, because if you don't know what you're feeling, we know scientifically that emotions drive our actions. Mm-hmm. And if you're not even aware of your very emotions, then you're not even aware of what your actions are. You're just doing stuff. Okay, and that's that's a fact. We can go back to learn behaviors, what you are, how you're programmed by the time you're 30 years old and all those things. 
So until we're aware, we can't of how we feel and then what we do, because our culture is what we do. Mm-hmm. We can't do anything with our mistakes, right? We don't have any control over them until we start saying, I have a trigger. This person made me angry. Mm-hmm. Now I have an emotion, anger. Typically, I just have an action, anger, right? Mm-hmm. We just act on it until we start realizing I have that emotion, I have that feeling. And now I know that when I act angrily, these are the results. Okay. So that awareness allows us to make the adjustments. So now I can say, all right, I consciously acted on my anger because I recognized it. That didn't turn out so well. Mm-hmm. That's okay. It was a conscious decision to act on my anger. Next time I'm going to know I can't trust that instinct. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I have that trigger. I have that same emotion and I go, anger is no good for me. I can't act on it. Let me try something else. Okay. That in and of itself allows us to get past those mistakes, right? That knowledge that it is a process, that we probably have this learned behavior that we're trying to undo allows ourselves to give ourselves a little bit of grace, right? A little bit of patience, but you can't do any of that until you have that awareness. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of where I think where we start with mistakes, we just have to see where they're coming from. And then we have to see that they're conscious decisions. Okay, conscious decisions. Now I can make conscious adjustments because mm-hmm. I saw what it was. It, so I hope that that kind of makes sense, right? I think that's just all where it starts. Yeah. So where do those, so I've experienced that too, right? These kind of, um, sometimes they're like self-limiting false beliefs. Sometimes they're, you, know, you kind of use the word triggers, right? They're things that get recorded in our brain. So let's say we're, you know, starting our career, we're 25 to 30 years old. We're, we're responding to certain stimulus or things that are happening around us in our environment how we respond in that moment comes from what, like who programmed us? where do we get it from? Yeah. So, you know, and that's the science part of what I do, right? I have a process. I have the five elements process. I say, you always need to be recognizing these, Mm -hmm. the art inside of each one, right? I just mentioned uh, emotional awareness and recognition. Well, my emotions and the challenges I have are going to be different than your emotions and Ronald's emotions and Amy's emotions, Mm -hmm. right? So there's an art and understanding which emotion it is, what impact it has. Now, where does that come from? We have between, the science says, we have between 60 and 70,000 thoughts per day. Hmm. And 80 to 90% of those thoughts are the same as the day before. And the science further tells us that for the majority of the people, about 70% of those thoughts are the thoughts associated with the emotions of stress. Okay? So that's Hmm. the first thing. By the time we're 30, the science tells us we have become who uh, we have become a set of behaviors that we're not even aware of anymore. Okay, Mm -hmm. so now we just start doing things that we don't even realize. Well, why do we do it? Well, because at some point we formed a habit based on an emotion. And now we know that that emotion is probably the same emotion we're going to feel tomorrow and the next day and a week from now and a week from now. And then every time that happens, we become literally neurochemically addicted to the emotion and the behavior it drives, all Mm -hmm. right? So every time we have an emotion, the brain literally sends a chemical to our body, and now our body feels what we are thinking, Mm -hmm. okay? And now we are acting in conjunction. It's called the mind-body connection, right? Simple as that. And every time we act on it, the brain wires itself harder and harder and harder, right? But the good news is we can rewire. 
it just takes a lot of work, right? And that's why we have to have that patience. But, but the understanding that why do I keep doing this thing? Why do I keep making that mistake? When you can say now, it's not because I'm dumb. It's not because I'm lazy. It's not because I don't care, right? It's not because I don't get it. It's because I've literally neurochemically wired my brain to behave that way for the last 30 years of my life. I have almost no control over it. So once again, the awareness around that allows us to start that process of saying new emotion, right? I typically feel frustration or jealousy, okay? Now I'm recognizing I feel it. How do I start this rewiring process? Start thinking a different emotion, right? That, that whole trigger emotion action, right? So if the second you say, I recognize it and I want to do something different, the brain starts to rewire itself. Right. That's how that's the process. That's where it starts. So, you know, hopefully that that should explain a lot to some people sitting out there going, huh, well, that makes sense now. Now I get it. <laughs> right. So that's that's where it comes from. It's it's a set of learned behaviors based on emotions that we feel over and over and over again. And we don't even realize it after a while. Yeah. And I, I remember hearing, I mean, so much of what we know about this in brain science has changed with stuff we've learned in the last 15 years. I remember yep. sitting in the first couple of years of being an entrepreneur in a leadership session, I was in my mid twenties and they said, you know, by age 35, you'll be the person that you're pretty much going to be for the rest of your life. And it's, you know, it's practically impossible to change your, your brain responses and behaviors and pathways. Um, and I remember thinking, well, thank God I've learned this while I still have 10 years to go. Uh, I don't know if it actually caused a lot of behavior change in me at the moment, but in recent years now with research around neuroplasticity, we know that we can change like that, that whole, you are going to be who you are forever for folks that are, you know, thinking about what Errol's saying now and going like, Oh crap, I'm not super happy with exactly what I'm analyzing about where I've gotten to at this point in my life or how my brain responds to things. You can change it. You can actually change it. And if it took um, a behavioral uh, psychologist shared with me that if it took 20 years of default development of bad patterns. So not intent, not bringing intentionality to it, but developing the patterns over 20 years that it should take about 10% of that time to, with intentional thought and patterns to rewire a new habit, which is, I think really positive, right? Like that's a reasonable period of time where I can impact a change. Right. And it's, and it's not, you don't have to wait the entire 10 years <laughs> right? before, before <laughs> it takes, it's going to be a gradual change, right? And you're eventually going to see it. And that's exactly right. You know, the 35 year old part is right right? That's, that's, that has stayed constant. The fact that you can't change after that, well, why did they think that, right? The studies that they did were on mice, okay? And they just, the mice, the bottom line is the mice's brains didn't change, right? They stayed the same based on certain things. And then they went back and looked at that study and said, well, what, what was the problem? Well, they never changed the mice, the mouse, the, mi the mouses, the mice environment, right? It stayed the same. So because the environment stayed the same, the thoughts stayed the same. So there was no change in their brain pattern. Simple mm -hmm. as that. If they had had a new environment, they would have had a new thought and then a new experience, and then the brain would have changed. And that's where it all starts. That's why I start the process with emotional awareness and recognition, because this, it literally mirrors the process that the brain goes through to rewire. You have to recognize that emotion because it's the emotion that you're addicted to in the end. Right, the emotion, the chemicals to the body, and then we will find anything in our environment to satisfy that emotional need, whether it's jealousy, anger, frustration. Right, you made me angry a year ago, a week ago, mm -hmm. and now it's two weeks later, and I'm still angry. I just can't remember why, and I need my fix. Right, mm -hmm. so now I see Dan, 
and Dan's shirt's untucked. And I go, gosh, darn it, Dan, you got to tuck in your shirt. What's going on? Addiction satisfied, right? I found anything to satisfy that addiction. So that's why the emotions are the key to all of this. That's really interesting. Yeah, I remember from the book Atomic Habits a couple of years ago, reading that concept of environment change, right? So if you want to exercise every day, you know, getting up and, and, and telling yourself all day, I should exercise and feeling bad about the fact that you're not doing it isn't the approach. The approach is to change your environment, to change the context. And so one of the recommendations in that book is simply put out your jogging clothes. If you want to go jogging right by the door, you have to walk by in order to leave your bedroom to go into the house in the morning and as step one. And then as step two, just put your workout clothes on. You don't have to work out right then. Just put them on. And then three hours later, you'll find yourself maybe at your desk wishing you work out and you look down and you go, hey, all I have to do is stand up and run out the door because I'm already dressed and I'm ready to go. So using kind of contextual clues and environmental changes, just like you're talking about, to drive the behavior change you want. It's, that seems pretty easy. Is, is well, it, 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 it does seem easy, but here's where I would take, and, and look, I agree with all those, right? All those things. And, and I, I think I, I put them more, for me personally, first of all, I, I agree with them and I do them myself, but I put them more in the technique okay. realm, right? Because eventually we don't want to have to technique ourselves into doing the right thing, right? We want this to be a conscious decision that we're saying, no, it's time to do it, right? Mm-hmm. I've got to go find my, my workout clothes, whatever it is. That, that's how committed I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things you said, I would say, look, take that a different step because you said something that's very important. You have something you don't want to work out. You decide you're not going to work out. And then you feel bad about mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. It's never so much the initial emotion that's driving us. It's the emotion about the emotion, right? <laughs> that shame you feel for being lazy. That's the, that's the one that's killing us, right? Mm-hmm. Or the, the guilt you feel for being angry, right? Because you're pretty, pretty much probably acknowledging a lot of those emotions. But how do you feel about those things? And so those are the next things that will continue to help us rewire our brain. So if, in your example, I didn't work out, right? And you haven't gotten to, maybe the, the, the laying out the clothes isn't working for you, right? Because sometimes it doesn't. You've got to try something else. But then you're thinking to yourself, ah, oh, man, I, I just, I suck. Okay, well, you've just acknowledged something, some emotion about yourself. Mm-hmm. But the real emotion is probably, and I feel like I'm not worthy of anything. I feel so worthless now. And that's the one I'm really ashamed of. Oh my God, now there's shame, right? Mm-hmm. The second we start saying those things to ourselves, now the brain's starting to rewire ourselves, you know, right? Now we're getting to the real root of it because, you know, there, there's some science out there that says that those unacknowledged motions go to our unconscious mind, not our subconscious mind, our unconscious mind. Mm-hmm. And the body is a closed system. Everything serves a purpose to include those emotions that you are not acknowledging. And they will wreak havoc on your being one way or the other. They will make sure you acknowledge them. People get the, the back pain, right? And they think, oh, how'd you hurt your back? Oh, well, I bent over and picked up a piece of paper. And oh, well, that's structurally impossible. That is not what happened, okay? There is something going on in your being that's trying to get your attention. It's usually that emotion about the emotion. So maybe I'm, I'm going down a rabbit hole a little bit, but you know, it just it sparked my, my thought process when you use that example. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it, it brings up so many like things that have happened to me and other entrepreneurs that I've been close to over the years, right? Where, you know, they'll have like recurring neck pain issues, or I actually get tension on the left. It's always the left side of my neck. I don't know why, but it's when stress comes up and I'm not functionally doing anything with my neck or my body. And I'm even 
you know, taking time to stand up and stretch and get away from my desk. And it's not, you know, posture and position pain, but it's just, that's where that manifests itself in me. And I, and I think that's also another amazing gift when people can start to discover what those things are for them, because those are the telltale signs, right? Either a, that we're enduring too much stress and we need to try and reduce that or manage it better. Um, or B that it isn't something else, right. That I don't need to go in and have my neck maybe x-ray because of that and go through all these procedures. Instead, I need to actually manage the emotion and the stress that I'm, that I'm bearing that's causing my physical body to respond that way. That's, and that's what it is. There's a, there's a, uh, a series of books by a gentleman named Dr. John Sarano. Okay. And I think the first one is healing back pain. The rest are just iterations off of that one. And, um, his premise was just this back pain, neck pain, things like that, that you can't explain that keep coming back. Even after you've had a surgery, even after you go to the physical therapist and they just keep coming back and back and back and nobody has the answers. He said his premise was it is because of the unacknowledged emotions that you are not acknowledging and they are, they are, they're, they're being heard. And he did studies upon studies upon studies. And it turned out to be accurate based on his studies. This was so unpopular in the medical community that they tried to, you disbar a lawyer, whatever you do to a doctor, right? They tried to take his, his license. He actually went to court. And it turns out that the judge was one of his patients who was able to say, this is not pseudoscience. I'm a patient, right? I had back pain for all those years. I had an operation. And he just told me, so it's, it's really, truly, it, there's that type of stuff is really coming from those unacknowledged emotions by and large, right? You, you know, look, if you get into a car accident, you might have something that's going on, but I think we all understand what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes the physical manifestations of these emotional trauma or just unsettled emotional issues or default emotional response to things, um, sometimes can be more obvious, but I mean, the psychological impact of that, to your point earlier, you feel one way and then you feel this way in, in regard to how you felt about that. And then it That's activates right. the underlying uh, lack of self-confidence or concern or worry or something. And then that becomes even bigger. Those are harder to detect, but I think the, you know, we can see them in both sides of our lives, right? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So I want to bring us over to identity. And I think we were really starting to dig toward this with this question. So we talk a lot about maintaining identity in the Founders First system uh, and in our community. And um, we believe this is critical to living a healthy, balanced and happy life. You tell a story about going through a really hard time, which I'd like to share. You had dreamed of being a Navy SEAL and you got there, but then you were injured on deployment. You needed a medical discharge. And this was a pivotal moment during a really hard time in your life. Being a SEAL had been such a huge part of your identity that it put you into a bit of a personal crisis. I actually saw in a recent interview, you said, be careful what you identify as. If it can be taken away, then you probably need to change your focus. So my question is, what are the parts of your identity that you're most passionate about and dedicated to? And what's your advice for our members as to how they can make sure they don't lose their true identity on their journeys? Well, it's just that what you just said. Um, if, if you are identifying yourself with something that can be taken away from you, I, I recommend changing it. Okay. Yeah. So there, this is a group of entrepreneurs putting their life, blood, soul, every part of their being into their, into their journey. What do you do? Oh, I run a company that is this, and I do this, and I, I make this money, and blah, 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 mm -hmm. right? And I get it. It's natural, right? Because it's, it's what you're consumed with. Mm -hmm. 
until you don't have that company, right? Until the stock market crashes, until COVID happens, mm -hmm. until something happens and all of a sudden you don't have that. Well, you never should have identified yourself with that to begin with. Okay. And I learned that lesson the hard way. I was lost when I left the SEAL teams for a number of reasons, right? I was, and these are, and I will tell you every sob story I give you, let me premise it with, it was self-inflicted. I earned everything that happened to me. These are just what happened. Mm -hmm. So I was in a very, I was in a real bad spot in my life. I was, I was in a terrible marriage, um, a, an abusive marriage. Um, and I got injured on deployment. I was uh, suffering from massive post-concussion headaches. I had both arms in casts and then dealing with what I was dealing with at home. And, um, you know, then when you leave, you know, you leave something you love, you know, I left with my tail between my legs. It's not how I wanted to go, right? I ended the ugliest of divorces. And on that ride back across country, uh, you have a lot of time to think. And I just thought, what, what am I now? What am I? Mm -hmm. And I just didn't know. And I didn't know for a long time. You know, when I was, you know, I started selling copiers in the private sector, which a job that I loved, by the way, um, not because I love copiers, but it was a great environment and a great boss. But anyway, I digress. So the point is, I had to come to the, the realization at some point, you need to be something bigger than what your business card says. You need to look at whatever it is you were feeling like you are and can somebody take it away from you? So again, we talk about a business owner. Well, that can be taken away from you. You know, oh, I'm a pod podcast host. Well, that can be taken away from, you know, whatever it is. And this is going to be morbid. And I use the example, but it brings the point home. You know, my parent, my, my sister died, um, it's about oh, gosh, 10 years ago now. Uh, but, you know, my parents lost a child. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, in their heart and soul and spirit, they're still the parents of my sister, but they're not. She's gone. Mm -hmm. Right. What do you identify yourself with? Right. Now, that's a terrible example. But if you think about it, it can be true. Because can you move on past that? If that's mm -hmm. all you identify, something that's lost. Um, so what can you? So I identify myself, not surprisingly, I am a leader, I am a person of compassion and patience. I can put that to everything in my life and make it better. That will make me a better parent. That will make me a better husband. It's not that I don't love my role as a parent and a husband and friend and whatever else, but you know, ooh, the thought of losing it is, is, is enough to make me vomit. But the fact of the matter is I can. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if I can be something that makes me a better parent, that nobody can take away from me, then that's what I need to be identifying myself with. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the answer is for everybody. Okay, I don't have it. It's, but it's out there for everybody. And if you mm -hmm. don't know what it is, start looking for it, right? Because that will make you better at everything else, I promise you. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it makes me think about the identities I, that, that I hold dear. A lot of them are things that bring me mental health, which are like thing, time outdoors, big hikes, climbing mountains mountain biking, skiing, and so many of those things are great now as a person in my late 30s, but you know, I'm always one accident away from that being taken away from me. Um, and I think about that a lot, and certainly as I've gotten over the last 10 years, I think about that a lot more. I didn't think about it as much in my 20s, but certainly in my 30s, it's you know about, gosh, like you know, I could 
have a massive leg injury or head injury or something that causes me to not be able to do this anymore. And I want to optimize the amount of that time I have left in my life. It changes my behavior a little bit, but to your point here, it's really the underlying identity. I think you're saying that I need to be comfortable with is that is, is the thing that sits behind that, right? That's really just either like a crutch or a method to, to fulfilling the identity that's important to me. Right. And if we were working together, I would say, don't identify yourself as a lover of nature. Mm -hmm. identify yourself as somebody who loves everything they're doing at the moment, mm. right? Because heaven forbid you get on that bike, you get into an accident, right? And all of a sudden you can't get out in nature. But if your identity is, I take, I love everything I'm doing, no matter what it is, mm -hmm. well, all of a sudden, nobody took that away from you. It's, it's going to take some adjustment, right? To see why you love it, what it is about you love, but nobody took it away from you. Right. So, but they took that nature part away from you. So that, you know, that's kind of, you know, when I talk to people, those are the exact conversations I have. And it, again, it's not saying you can't, you're allowed to say you love nature. I'm a nature, you know, you're allowed to say that. But just as we talk about identity, I think identity is very important. Just, just be careful, right? Make it, make it. Cause if you, if you love, if your identity is, I love everything I do, I am in the moment, everything, and I embrace everything I do. Well, that will you enjoy nature even more? Will you enjoy that hike even more? Will you enjoy that bike ride even more? You're damn right you will, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the behavior makes you even better. I love that. As entrepreneurs, I think one of the one of the things I share about my entrepreneurial story is my lowest psychological, emotional, and even really physical health. My lowest point in my life was one year after my big exit, selling my company for over $100 million in 2012. And so the identity point that you bring up here is why, right? Because, you know, although I was successful because I wanted to become a successful business person, I put all of my eggs in that basket and all of these other identities that I held just I didn't have time for them. And honestly, I eventually forgot about them. Like I forgot who I was and what I liked. I'd, I'd been doing it so long and I was successful. So I was getting all the signs that I'm doing everything right. We're making more money. We're winning awards. People want me to get on stage and tell my story. And I'm like, that seems weird, but sure. I'll share what I'm doing. I guess if people want to listen and I'm kind of out of place and I'm like, all right, well, I'll tell people the business story. That's what they want to hear. I'm the business person. Here's my business card. Let me tell you about my business. Yeah. When people ask me how I'm doing. I forgot to even respond with anything that had to do with me. Right. You know, oh, my business Aaron, is great. You Did doing? you hear me? <laughs> yeah. Aaron, how you doing? Oh yeah. Revenue is up 20%. I'm great. This doesn't make any sense. Right? I just lost track of it. And, and that can happen whether you're successful or not as an entrepreneur, right? If you fail, you lose your company. If you're successful and you sell, you lose your company. Um, sometimes you're successful and you don't sell and you still lose yourself along the way. And this identity part, I think, is the is the savior for this this path for us as, as really focused type A people. And, and, and if can I riff off of that a little bit just to, so it's kind of when I, I hear people talk about, you know, find your why a lot. Right. And I'm, I'm for all that. Right. For, you know, Simon Sinek, I'm a massive fan. So I'm not denigrating that concept. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes. Right. It's hard to find your why. Right. Sometimes I don't know. Well, what do I? So my point around that is, and it's kind of identity. Who am I? What do I stand for? What, what is my why? Just remember, it can change. It can move. It can be different things. It can be from moment to moment. I, I promise you, I've got three kids under seven years old. Right. I'm home. We work. You know, it's it's I have three huge dogs. It's a madhouse. Believe me, <laughs> I have to find my why. I have to find who I am. Every time I leave my home office and go downstairs, there's a whole new set 
for me. So, and the only reason I bring that up is because I got locked into, well, I have to find this why, and it needs to be applicable to everything in the world. And then you start like, but I don't know. So now I suck. Now you're back in the, that emotion about the emotion and that, you know, you're going, so just again, give ourselves some grace and credit, but always think about who am I going into this, this room? What do I want to be? When I go down to my kids, I, I want to be, I want to be a person who provides good, positive energy. I want to be somebody who reads the room and gives you what you need. Nobody can ever take that away from me. If that is what I'm identifying myself with, and that's what I want to project to other people, you can't take it away. But that might be something different going into another room. And that's okay. Right? That's allowed. So I just wanted to kind of make that point. Yeah, thank you. I love that. One of the things we focus on in Founders First is finding a way amidst the stress of startups, like investor pressure, financial strain, you know, real life running a startup, um, a way to take it easy on ourselves. We know that if we give in to stress, we lose focus, our performance goes down, and as a result, we turn into people who are much different from who we were when we started our company and our journey as entrepreneurs. Um, we're also much more likely to make mistakes when we're under stress, which you refer to in your book as self-inflicted wounds. You mentioned it here earlier as well. Mm -hmm. uh, you talk a lot about learning what our stress responses are and how we can rewire our brains so they're better prepared to navigate the responses and manage them. We have a number of tools that, that we teach in our workshop called the Peak Ability Program um, that our folks are using every day. What I want to know is what have you learned about how you yourself respond to stress? I mean, it's an incredible background that we can all understand that there must have been great stress, although I'm sure we can't understand the stress that you went through. Um, what tools do you use each day to keep it under control? Like, what happens when you have an off day? Yeah, so there's a, there's a couple. The first thing is, and once again, this is going to sound like, boy, this guy's just shamefully pitching his book over and over again, but it's not. It's what I believe. I that My process is born of blood, sweat, and tears. It is not. Mm -hmm. There's no theoretical model in there. So when I started my company, I had to sit down and go, what, what was I thinking? What did I believe? How did I get past those things? What made me be so calm in that situation where most people were not? What was happening? Right? And that's when I had to get, and then by the same token, how was it that I would then away from the stressful work situations where I was super calm, why would I then go out? in my personal life and do the dumbest things in the world. And that would have a negative impact on all the hard work I did professionally. What, what was happening? Okay. So again, it started with lack of emotional awareness. Okay. That was the first thing I had no idea. I had no concept of what I was feeling and how I was acting. I was just doing it. Okay. As far as the stress thing goes, as I look back, where, wh why was I able to handle stress? Okay. Well, the first thing was because there was always preparation. When I went back and thought the moments that most people or a lot of people I know, or at least the people around me were not crumbling, but struggling to think clearly, why was I not? Why was I okay? And I always go back to, because I always had a plan. Right? I, I always had a plan. And I'm talking about more in the life and death situations that I'm dealing with, but that's why I bring up those life and death situations. Combat is the ultimate expression of consequence. Okay. If you do it wrong, mission failure, injury, or death. Okay. All unacceptable. But the things, the, the behaviors that we bring to bear, the leadership process that we bring to bear is applicable anywhere. So again, emotional awareness, recognition, cultural awareness, and recognition, and identification of how I want to behave. 
behavioral guidelines. What is the behavior that I will hold myself accountable to or my team? Planning process, make a plan. In stress, you go to what you know. What do you know? Do you know the behaviors that you will hold yourself accountable to? Do you have a plan? Okay. When you have that, okay, then you are prepared. So no matter what happens right now, just say the crazy scenario, right? The boogeyman comes out of the closet and, you know, he's got the nasty magic fairy dust that's going to send me to awful places. Okay. My first thing I go to is, and I go to this in a second, situation, bad guy in there is looking to hurt me, right? Set of circumstances dictating the need for action. What is my mission? I've got to define that mission. Get out and run, fight, do something, hide, yell. I've got to define what my mission is, okay? Then I've got to define my actions. The fact that that's the place I go to in moments of stress alleviates stress. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't have to worry about it. We have a big project. Why are people so stressed out about the project? I'll tell you why, because they don't have a plan. They don't have a plan about exactly what their mission is, what the actions are, right? what the deadlines are on those actions, who's in charge of those actions, potential contingencies along the line, just out there floating. Mm-hmm. And now, what are you all stressed about? Oh, I don't know this thing's happening. I don't know how it's going to turn out. Trust me, when you have a plan, you know how it's going to turn out. So that's the first thing, right? Mm-hmm. That prepara- preparation, which is part of the leadership process, because that's what leaders do. They perform under stress. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. The second thing is stress still happens. Okay. We, that's okay. Right. It's not, it still happens and you can't outrun the stress because once, unless you relieve it from your body, it's going to stay there. It's going to, it's going to cause that inflammation. We're going to get mm-hmm. sick. We're going to get depressed. We're going to get all these illnesses. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I am a cold practitioner. I'm a Wim Hof method instructor. Mm-hmm. Okay. But what I do to the ice bath is the intention I bring going into it. And that will change every day. Let's give ourselves a break. How do I manage the stress? This awful stuff just happened. Mm-hmm. My intention going into the ice bath this morning is grace. Give yourself a break, man. Okay. It's okay. Everybody's still alive. And even if that wasn't the case, give yourself a break. And then you go back through your process. What did I do wrong? Right? You have a place. If you have a place to go back to, okay. If, and, and you can look at what went right and what went wrong, that's also a stress reliever because now you're aware of where the thing that went wrong that's call, causing you that stress. So the intention we bring to our methods to relieve stress is everything. So mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of packed in a lot there, right? The preparation, right? You go to what you know under stress. You have process. You, the reason you have to have process is because after the fact, you need to be able to identify where the stress came from, what was wrong. And now you say, okay, now next time I can do this differently. And then the intention in what you're doing. If you're a yoga person, a meditation person, an ice bath person, you may find yourself just going through the motions and figuring out why it's not happening. Mm-hmm. And you say, my intention today is joy. I have to have joy because I have been not joyful the last couple of days because of stress. How do I know that? Because I have a cultural awareness and recognition. I'm aware of what I do. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm going on and on. So I, I'll, I'll stop there. But is that, does that, am I answering the question? Yeah. I mean, my, my biggest takeaway, you blew me away with the under stress, you go to what you know. And that's, um, yeah, I've surveyed hundreds of entrepreneurs over the last couple of years, interviewed them live. And one of the questions that I always ask in, in that specific series is um, on, in moments of extreme pressure and stress, 
you know, do you have any, you know, immutable rules that you don't, that you're unwilling to just absolutely not going to go there in, in those moments of stress. And then, and then what is the, the number one thing you do? Like looking back on your behavior over the last year, you're under great pressure. What do you actually do in those moments? And you could probably guess it, but the number one answer is they work more hours. <laughs> they work <Yeah>. harder. <laughs> That's what they know. They know how to work hard. So when stress comes up, dials up, they just work harder which what does that do that puts them last and just drives them into the ground, right? Yeah, yeah. And so when you, so again, in my process, that's the planning process, right? And, and I didn't make this planning process up. I'm very clear about this. This is a straight ripoff from the SEAL teams. These are the elements that we use to plan. Because if mm-hmm. we hit these elements, right? If we plan before we act, which is another thing that will alleviate stress, right? Mm -hmm. I already know what my plan is. I don't have to be stressful. I got it right here. I know what I'm doing. Um, And the plan will tell you also if you shouldn't do it, right? And and I won't get into that, but that's a fact. Um, Where was I going now? I get so excited about talking about the plan. Process from SEAL team plan. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, and, and so... If you cover the elements of this planning process, you're going to succeed. It's just, Mm -hmm. I've never seen it not succeed. If you miss an element, the chances of you not succeeding are better, right? Mm -hmm. So they they go up almost exponentially. Hmm. So, you know, again, the knowledge that you have that process to plan, the knowledge that that's what you go to, what you, when you know, that's what you know. So that's what you go to. Mm -hmm. You know, stress is, I'll, I'll give you a personal example, right? So we're, we're homeschooling our kids, right? We've got the seven-year-old, we've got the six-year-old. We've also got an 18-month-old that we're dealing with. We've cohorted with a couple other families, right? So we're doing the whole thing. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to do the, the remote stuff that the schools were offering. It's fine. It's just that was our decision, right? But today, this was the first week. Mm-hmm. So my wife came in, and so we have three families, and we're doing it on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And Tuesday, our friend Liz had it, and my wife came back and said, wow, Liz was, she was struggling today mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Wednesday, my wife had it. She came up to me. She was like, whoa, <laughs> right? Today, uh, uh, Brittany had it. She, you know, my wife was like, she's not okay. Yeah. So now, all of a sudden, everybody's going, should we stop this? Stop. <laughs> right? So now it gets stressful. Me and my wife sat down. I said, Look, let's just paint by numbers. What's the situation? Right? Set of circumstances dictating need for action. Everybody's freaking out. Good. What are we going to do about it? Right? Somebody says something. What are you going to do about it? What's the mission? Mm-hmm. We've got to figure out what we're going to do. So, my point is, I won't go through the whole story, but my point is, we didn't worry about everybody already wanting to bag this thing. <laughs> we identified all right, what's going on. What do we want to do about it? What can we do about it? Let's talk about it. Now we know no stress. Called everybody up, say, let's all settle down. Let's get back together Sunday. Here's what we recommend we do. Everybody was like, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, let's do that. I feel better. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. Simple concept. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. But but that's it. You know, that's that's my take on stress as far as the day-to-day. Again, the managing the stress, ice baths, all that stuff. You know, we can get 
get into that if, if you want. Yeah. Well, I want to continue on the, the topic of habits, right? Because this process and like going to that as a habit is, is mm-hmm. obviously important, right? You, you, you go to what you know as well, right? right. So creating, creating habits means you know what you have the pattern. So we touched on personal habits. Um, of course, as a leadership coach with a massive amount of influential clients, you discuss habits as they pertain to leadership as well. Um, you've said leadership and leaders come in all shapes and sizes and in all different environments, which means good leadership is not a matter of personality or circumstance, but rather a process of tools and habits. Right. And what we do at Founders First System, we focus really heavily on habits, both for ourselves, but also in relation to how they help us guide our teams to better physical and mental health so they don't burn out. We build the understanding that um, you can't just muscle through stress and sleeplessness and anxiety and poor nutrition, that if we're going to be able to perform at high levels, we need some tools that regularly help us recharge. And uh, we need to create that culture within our teams as well. So w- within the larger frame we're discussing, can you talk about leadership habits? So how do you encourage people you coach to lead their teams through stress, through mistakes, through pivots, uh, without burning out or falling into those negative habits? That's right. So the habit I try to give my clients is my process, right? Emotional awareness, cultural awareness, right? Emotions drive actions. Actions make up our culture. Be aware. Guidelines for behavior. Decide how you want to behave because that's going to be unique to you. You're going to see some things about yourself, right? Then we plan and then we understand the resistance. That's the habit I want my clients to go through, mm-hmm. right? Every time something goes wrong, you look at yourself and say, okay, did I not make it clear to everybody what, the, what I was holding them accountable to as far as personal behavior, mm-hmm. okay? If you didn't make it clear, you've just found your problem, all right? Hey, everybody, let's, let's regroup. I didn't make this clear. Um, mm-hmm. I expect everybody to be on time, right? Mm-hmm. So, something as simple as that. You may not have said it, okay? So that's the first thing. So that's, that's the habit. Those, that's the thought process and the habit I try to get uh, the people I work with into. Now, how do we make that habit? That's where I use cold exposure as an amazing intellectual tool. So if I work with somebody, let's say I'm working with you, Aaron, and this week we're going to work on the first element, emotional awareness and recognition. Okay, Mm -hmm. so your drill for the for every day is to get into an ice bath with the intention or a cold shower, right? Mm -hmm. With the intention of identifying your emotions. That's it. Identify, be able to identify one or two emotions before you get in, be able to identify one or two emotions when you're in. Identify one or two motions when you get out, okay? And, you know, we've got the app. You send them to me. we got it recorded. I know you're engaged. And then do it tomorrow. And then do it tomorrow. And then do it tomorrow. What that does is it starts the habit of emotional awareness and recognition. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. I'm starting a habit next week. Now I want you to go in to the cold with the intention of your culture. What are you doing before the ice bath? in the ice bath after, right? See, before the ice bath, I'm walking around in circles trying to figure out whether, how do I get myself out of this? Mm-hmm. I am procrastinating. I'm on social media. Oh, where are the toenail clippers? Because I might have to cut my toes, right? When I get in, what am I doing? I'm making a real show of it. I'm hooting and hollering. I'm cursing. Oh, F this, F that. I got to get out of here, right? Mm-hmm. There's no right or wrong. But the habit of being aware of what you're doing is what I'm trying to build. So I use to build those habits, cold exposure with the intention of what you want. Okay. Some days I need to build the habit of joy and forgiveness. Right. And I literally say my intention getting into this ice bath 
is forgiveness. Now I'm pretty experienced at it, right? So I can, I can jump a lot of the steps mm-hmm. now, right? You know, the, the, the first person, you know, Davin is going to get into an ice bath and he's like, I have to think about forgiveness. No, no. The first time you do it, you need to think about focus one thing, right? So as you get better at it, but that's kind of, that's the tools. Some of the tools that I use, I use them for myself and I certainly use them for my clients, right? Sometimes you, you are just unaware of what is happening in your life. You've lost control. I just get to the ice bath. I say, my intention now is focus on what am I doing? That's it. Re- reset. So I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I love it. I want to just um, point out to folks on the call, it's time for questions. I'm going to ask one more and then we'll go to audience questions. So drop them in chat. Um, keep them coming in. Anything that pops in your mind, we'll go to those next. So. Um, Self-doubt is something we all struggle with. Entrepreneurs talk about imposter syndrome that exists in lots of other areas as well. Um, One of our previous forum speakers, Eric Severinghouse, good friend of mine, talked about how just moments after he summited Mount Everest, he was frustrated with himself because he wasn't keeping the time he'd hoped for on his descent. And then he realized in this moment, he's literally rappelling down the triangle face and he's frustrated that he's not going faster. And he says to himself, you know, I'm literally at the top of the world. I just climbed Mount Everest. And now I can't even give myself a break. And entrepreneurs, you know, we struggle with this on both ends, right? If our business is flying high, we're afraid we don't know, you know, what we're doing and it's all going to come crashing down or if we're stuck in a rut, we're asking ourselves, am I really an entrepreneur or do I deserve to be here? Mind over matter is something you've spent a lot of time on, certainly a critical component of being a SEAL, a part of the mindset you've brought with you to your book and to your coaching. Um, You just talked about Wim Hof Method. So something I've experienced several times, uh, a couple of folks and I, I probably was January since I last jumped in the Boulder Canyon Creek in an ice hole, but it was, the water was 17 degrees. And, you know, I felt that, you know, that negative voice in my head beforehand. Um, telling me like there is, in fact, I've got, I put the group together and I brought these people in. Um, they were actually, um, army special ops helicopter pilots before they became entrepreneurs. And then I find myself becoming super intimidated because I'm like, they're all going to do this <laughs> and I'm their leader. And I have put this together and I'm like, I'm going to check it out. Like, this is too cold. I've never been in this cold of environment. I've never actually had to go in an ice hole to do this. And there's that voice in my head just going, you're not going to do it. And you're going to embarrass yourself because these other people that you brought together to bring into this experience are actually going to be tougher than you. And, and that voice, right? So this voice in our heads, the, the self-doubt we all struggle with, how do you control it or do you control it? That, well, you, well, you do. And the only way, the only way you can control it is to be aware of it and acknowledge it. That's it right? We're not trying to tell people you can't feel what you're feeling. All right. Mm-hmm. That, that's just, if you, if you tell somebody, no, just feel a different way. No, no, that little you on your other shoulders, like you're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself. You really are afraid. You're just trying not to admit it. Yeah. Share a brief story. First time I jumped out of an airplane, right? Free fall. Uh, they put you through all the training. You go to the wind tunnel, the whole thing. I'm walking to my first jump. Hey, I'm a tough guy, Navy SEAL, right? I jump out of the airplane. They teach you your basic protocols, right? Check your altimeter, left, right, up, clear your airspace, pull. It's not that difficult, believe me. I kind of come to in the air with my instructor, because they jump with you, ready to pull my ripcord for me. All right, now he kind of, you know, shook me out of it, and I pulled the ripcord myself below where I was supposed to, a completely unsatisfactory and dangerous jump, right? No good. But I was walking up there full of bravado, right? Mr. Mann, the instructor in typical military fashion was very blunt, very clear. 
if you have another jump like that, I'll ensure you never jump out of another airplane again. <laughs> Tough to do my job as a Navy SEAL. SEAL stands for Sea, Air, and Land Soldier. If I can't do the air portion, you know, I'm in trouble. The point is I had about 20 minutes to figure this out. And how did I figure it out? Well, I had to get honest with myself and say, okay, stop. You're not confident. You were, you were kidding yourself. You're scared shitless, man. Okay. The second I was able to say the words and say, you are scared. Then I was able to go to what I know. Fine. Make a plan, hmm. a plan within a plan situation. You're scared. What's your mission to get the first, the next jump, right? What are my actions? Focus on the protocol. The fear is still there. You're allowed to be afraid, but now you're deciding that you are going to do these other things. You're going to show courage. See behavioral guideline, right? Behavioral guidelines can be big for your life. They can be big for the moment. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about those things and, and self-doubt and inner voice, it still goes to my process, right? That inner voice is nothing more. All you were saying just then was your inner voice and those were emotions. Okay. That's all they were, which I'll bet you ended up getting in that water, right? Mm -hmm. Because you didn't try to not acknowledge them. You're like, I'm scared. This is, this is awful. I'm scared to death. And these fools are actually going to do it. I'm not going to be able to do it. At least you're saying it to yourself, but then you went to the next level and you decided and unconsciously, right? Mm -hmm. You went, but I have to have a behavior. I have to have a culture. So I have to do it. I have to be courageous. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you probably in your mind went through the plan. When I mm -hmm. get in there, it's going to be cold. Okay. I have to get my breath. I have to be calm. You went through all those things. So when people say to me, Errol, I act on intuition. They say, here's the problem with intuition. You can't teach it and you can't correct it. Okay. <laughs> Make your intuition a process because then, and, and it will fit right inside of my process. Then when it doesn't go right, you, you can figure out why. And then you can say that intuition is no good, or that is an intuition I can trust going forward. I don't have to go through this whole thing. So mm. that's, that's what I say about the self-doubt, right? It's, there's positive self-talk. All that is good and it's, it's appropriate, but we've just got to go through the process. Acknowledge it. What are you doing based on that emotion? What do you want to do? Make a plan. Okay? Yeah. And then the resistance. It's going to be hard, but you know, that's for another time. I love that's, it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a super helpful framework. And to me, there's there's part of this too of just kind of breaking. It is it's planning first and foremost, as you're saying. There's also at least the way I think about it, something about just breaking it into small operational pieces, right? Because for me, going from standing in that park when it was you know 35 degree air temperature and the moving water and the creek was about 17 degrees, yeah, to, to looking in that water and going like, oh, there's no way in hell I'm going to end up over there in 15 minutes to instead going, all right, well, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take my shirt off and my shoes off and I'm going to lay down and do this breath work. And then I'm going to follow the other people and the instructor who's leading us. And we're going to walk down there. There you and go. Then, right. Like I can do each of those pieces. I can't figure out how I'm going to get from here to in that water. Like no way in hell. Right. Because you had a plan. That's yep. it. You broke it down. These are the things that I need to do. I'm scared, but now in moments of stress, you go to what you know. So you intuitively went to a plan, but we need to make that part of your process. You need to be able to share that with people, right? Yeah. Aaron, how'd you do that? Oh, I just, I made a plan in my head, right? And it just broke it all down for me. Whoa, what? That's awesome. That's it. Yeah, that's it. 
<laughs> uh, Ron's got a question for uh, for you about ice baths. So yeah. the first time you did an ice bath, was it as part of a Wim Hof thing? Did you find it on your own? Did you just do it by yourself? What was the process to getting to that? No, it was a Wim Hof thing. I uh, Now, look, I was a Navy SEAL, so part of part of what they do to you at BUDS training, the, the SEAL training is basic underwater demolition SEAL. It's called BUDS. You're in the cold water all the time, right? Mm -hmm. So our, 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 my class was a winter class out in Coronado, but mm. Coronado can get plenty cold in January. And trust me, the Pacific ocean is plenty cold. So they would just put you, they want somebody to quit. And the first phase of, of BUDS training is just that, just to make you quit the first four mm. weeks. Um, and they make no bones about it. They'll just say, go into the cold water and you, you have a pair of shorts on and we'll let, we'll let everybody out when the first person quits. So I, I had to do those things as part of being a Navy SEAL. It just became cold and wet was the mantra. That's all you were. That's what separates the Navy SEALs from all the other special operations forces. Hmm. That said, voluntarily going into an ice bath, right, to say, because once I left the SEAL team, I was never wet and I was never cold again. Oh, it's raining outside. I'm going to wait till it stops raining. Oh, it's cold outside. I'm not going outside. Right. You kind of got that. I'm never doing that again. So yeah, yeah, it was, it was as a Wim Hof method. I discovered Wim Hof method, actually uh, preparing an event for Sheldon Wolitsky for mm -hmm. his company, a leadership retreat. He just called me and said, I want you to incorporate Wim Hof method. I was like, what the hell is Wim Hof method? He gave me Brandon Powell's name. I called Brandon and then it was off to the races. Yeah. I'm like, you do what? That sounds amazing. And then that was it. I was hooked. <laughs> Back to cold and wet again. You're like, I that's it. Now, now I can't stop getting cold and wet. <laughs> but now I have some intention behind it and I know how good it is for me. Right. Yeah, exactly. I love it. All right, Errol, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your amazing story. We wish you nothing but the best with Leader 193 and your new book, Process, Art, and Science of Leadership, How Leaders Inspire Clarity and Confidence in Combat in the Boardroom and at the Kitchen Table. Everyone, Errol's book is available on Amazon, so I encourage you all to pick it up. And of course, you can find Errol in our community and at leader193.com. Errol, we're excited to have you part of the community and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, my friend. Thanks, thanks everybody. Thank you for joining us at Founders First. This conversation continues in the Founders First community. Search Founders First community in the App Store on your phone to learn how to prioritize your health and wellness to become more successful. Get your questions answered by top entrepreneurs and receive notifications about upcoming shows. Until next time, stay healthy, be at your best, go change the world.